Welcome to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And I imagine you're wondering why I called you here today. I've always wanted to say that. Of course you have. So last week we did The Americans, which is a show about moles in Mm -hmm. the United States. And before that, we did an episode of Archer about moles. So I thought I would give us a microdot about moles today. All right. Interesting, interesting. So actually, let's before we start, when was the first time you'd heard of a mole that you could when think I of? Ask what was that on my face and my parents told okay, me Okay, yeah, was. yeah, but I mean like as a spy mole. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I know exactly when it was. It was 1996 when I watched the first Mission Impossible and mm-hmm. Kittredge is telling Ethan, you know, this whole operation was a mole hunt and... I didn't know that understood, so I was like, oh, "What are they talking about moles?" And like, they did a close at that moment. They did a close up of Ethan Hunt's face, and I'm like, "Am I supposed to be looking for a mole on his face right now, or something?" I thought it was going to be the Austin Powers with the recurring no, joke about moles. That, that was in much later. That was in much later. No. <laughs> Anyways, continue. What are we talking about today? So today we will be talking about two individuals, and we will begin with one. My sources for this are Wikipedia, CNN.com. Washington Post, FBI.gov, and the Defense Human Resources Agency website. Now, our subject today is Leandro Aragoncillo y Aparente, who was born in 1958 and was a naturalized Filipino-American after coming here in 1982. Interesting. Okay. Do I have your attention? You do, yes. (laughs) So Leandro became a U.S. Marine Corps sergeant and then joined the FBI as an intelligence analyst. He was the first Filipino member of the FBI, and between 1991 and 2001, he was assigned to Vice President Al Gore and then Vice President Dick Cheney. Oh, wow. President Clinton introduced Leandro to the Philippine President Joseph Estrada at the Uh, White House Uh, when he was making an official state visit to the U.S. in 2000. Uh Leandro gave Estrada his card and was later approached by an Estrada associate and asked to pass along American Mm. intelligence... Mm-mm. That could be used to save Mm-mm. Estrada's presidency. Oh, no. Estrada was eventually removed from office through impeachment in 2001. Oh, that's right. He was. He was He was an interesting fellow. My father had multiple books about him that were, they were called, like, he would frequently bungle English language, come out, it would come out humorously. And that's what I remember most, but I forgot that, no, he was actually also not a great president, and yeah, he was impeached. <laughs> I seem to remember an American president in 2000 who also would bungle the English language, and it was very funny. Mm -hmm. So while working for Cheney, Leandro began to steal information about Filipino politicians and American policy towards the Philippines. He would walk out of the White House on a fairly regular basis. This is, like, painful for you. Yes, it is. Come on. This is the first Filipino FBI agent, and he does this? Really? (laughs) What can you do? Hang on. Oh, we're, we're, we're getting there. So right, he, he even right. used the White House fax to send documents directly to the Philippines. Oh, well, that's just not smart. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> when his White House assignment ended in 2002, he was transferred by the FBI to the Army's Fort Monmouth base in New Jersey to okay. work for the FBI's Information Technology Center. But he kept spying. In January 2005, he began sending classified documents via a courier named Michael Ray Quino to the opponents of the Philippines president. Do you know her, Gloria Macapago Arroyo? GMA, yes. Also not a great president. Let's hope we don't alienate it. Well, actually, no. It's also agreed. She did some. She made some people disappear. It's not great. Well, 
if it helps, Leandro was working as a part of an attempt to overthrow her. So I don't know if that changes your opinion about him or not. Uh, it's not. No. I mean, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, All right. So the, the FBI's investigation of Leandro intervened with U.S. immigration officials on behalf of Aquino. He was facing deportation for overstaying his visa. Suspicious officials notified the FBI, who began an audit of Leandro's computer activities at his office. They discovered he had been making unauthorized queries of FBI databases and then printing out classified documents about the Philippines, which was not something he should have been working on. Mm -hmm. There's also a connection between Leandro and the French DGSE. Really? Yeah, allegedly, according to these sources, Leandro would go to Manila to meet with French operatives and agents. But his career didn't last very long. In October of 2005, Leandro was indicted and arrested in New Jersey for espionage. He was charged under the Espionage Act of 1917 and the Patriot Act, among others. Oh, man. Really? State's attorney Christopher J. Christie accused him of betraying his Marine uniform, his adopted country, and the trust bestowed on him as an FBI analyst. So his partner, Michael Aquino... Aquino. Excuse me, Michael Aquino was sentenced to six years and four months. Leandro got 10 years the next day after pleading down from up to 20 to avoid the death penalty. He also had a $40,000 fine, and he was 48 years old at the time. Hold on, I'm trying to think how you pronounce this in Filipino, or in, like in a Filipino, Leandro? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So having done a story about a Filipino spy, it was yeah. I thought it was only fair that I do a Jewish one. All right. So, my sources for this are Military.com, the Jewish Virtual Library, Wikipedia again, and the Encyclopedia Britannica website. If this guy is not a, a, a mole of betraying his home country, I'm going to be a little... It's like, that's not apples and apples. That's apples and oranges. Well, just wait and see. All right. I, I have faith in you, Zach. So Military.com calls Jonathan Pollard one of the most damaging spies in U.S. history. Okay. Of course, we've heard this one before. Yeah, like, I've heard that about Ames. I've heard that about uh, Hansen. I've heard that about, ooh, what's the, there's a third guy I'm trying to think of. I can't, is not coming to me right now. Definitely not the guy from Bridge of Spies. No. So Jonathan was born in 1954 in Texas, but grew up in South Bend, Indiana, where his father was a professor at Notre Dame. Hmm. Go fighting Irish. <laughs> Jonathan graduated from Stanford and attended a summer camp in Israel when he was 16. Okay. And while he was there, he asked to become a spy. Oh, at 16? At 16. Wow. He later claimed to be a colonel in the IDF and said the Mossad cultivated him to be a spy. Neither assertion was true. Uh -huh. In 1977, he applied for a job with the CIA, but was rejected after an investigation discovered he used drugs, and uh, had a penchant for telling stories. Well, yeah, that would do it. Yeah, some of those stories gave the impression he was an agent for Israel. <laughs> but Jonathan did go on to get a job with the Navy Field Operational Intelligence Office in Maryland in 1979. Hmm, okay. They did not know about the CIA's investigation of Jonathan because it had not been made available uh, to of partners. Of like a flaw. After he was caught lying on the job in 1981, he got a reduced security clearance and was told to seek psychiatric help, but he filed a grievance and his clearance was restored. 
I don't know all the details about that. All right, yeah, yeah. didn't get into it. So even after an Air Force clinical psychologist suggested Jonathan quote was grandiose, manipulative, and at times uncertain of what was real, exaggerated, imagined, or false, oh, and recommended therapy and assignment to non-sensitive duties. Uh huh. Occasional department and HR movements allowed him to fly under the radar. Over the course of his career, he was promoted from a GS-7 to a GS-13 and commanded by his superiors regularly. Do you know what that means? Is that a lot? We can find out right now. Hold on. This is from Wikipedia. So Mm -hmm. at least in 2022, what year was this happening in? Looks like about 1982. Okay, so this this will give us an idea at least. So there are, from what I understand, it goes, for, like, there's a range for a GS. So the GS-7 will go from 38,500 to 50,050. And you said he went up to 13? Yeah. So that starts at 81,216 and ends at 105,579. So he doubled that. Okay, so that's a big jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so in 1984, he was assigned to the U.S. Navy's Anti-Terrorism Alert Center. He contacted officials at the Israeli embassy connected to that country's Bureau of Scientific Relations and began to supply them with boxes and suitcases full of information from state, defense, justice, the CIA, and the National Security Agency. (laughs) Every two weeks between January and November 1985, Jonathan dropped off large caches of documents to a D.C. apartment with a special high-speed copier where they were copied and then returned. Interesting. His trips were so regular, his information so vast, he demanded a raise. (laughs) Which actually, that sounds like something Robert Hansen would do. Yeah, no, it it exactly sounds like that. That's like that. It's, you know, I'm so good. And it's really not about the money. It's about the recognition and power. Ah, yes. Do you hear that psychological report from earlier? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. So Pollard wanted to know about Arab and Pakistani nuclear technology, chem bio weapons programs, Soviet aircraft and air defense systems, as well as Arab nations' military and readiness indicators. Mm-hmm. On October 25th, 1985, he was seen carrying a large bundle from his office to his wife's car and was placed under surveillance. And then on November 21st, so less than a month later, he was arrested outside the Israeli embassy in Washington. Oh, wow. He and his wife had gone there in hopes of asylum. His wife was arrested the next day. (laughs) So Jonathan ultimately performed a plea bargain. He would plead guilty to one count of passing classified information to an ally without intent to harm the United States. I feel like that's important to point out. Uh There was no trial, so no risk of classified information being disclosed in court. And in return, the government said it would not seek the maximum sentence. Hmm. But he would still receive a life sentence. So I'm not sure how that works. He was given the maximum of life in prison. His wife was sentenced to five years. He became the first American to go to jail for life for passing secrets to a U.S. ally. Wow. Some people in the American Jewish community actually were lobbying to get him released. So I worked in a synagogue. Hang on. I'm getting there. So I worked in a synagogue in the Uh mid-2000s, and they had a free Jonathan Pollard poster on one of their bulletin boards, and I asked them why they were going to bat for a filthy traitor. In those specific words? Maybe not those specific <laughs> So what they said was that, yes, he did what he did, but his sentence was totally over the top. Uh, no other person has been gone to life in prison for spying on a U.S. ally. Hmm. So basically, it's not fair. 
That was their argument. Yeah, interesting. That's an interesting argument. I don't know if I necessarily agree, but all right. Well, also according to these sources, one of the politicians said it's exactly because he spied for a friendly ally that the sentence was so harsh. That makes sense, yeah. Because if it wasn't harsh, other people might want to do that. Right. And, you know, you feel like you're not actually harming your own country that much, really, because it's an ally. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta go down hard on them, yeah. and I, for one, intend to agree with the politicians. Jonathan's wife was released in 1989. They got divorced a year later, and he got remarried while in prison. Oh, to who? I don't I don't know. I didn't okay. look it up. Israeli Prime Minister Shimon Peres apologized for Pollard's actions and dissolved the scientific intelligence agency that worked with him. Hmm. The complete list of the information that he passed on was so vast and damaging that it still hasn't been disclosed. Wow. But he was eventually released in 2015. As part of his conditions for his release, Pollard was banned from leaving the United States for five years. After completing his parole, he moved to Israel in December 2020. All right. And that is where the story ends for now. Okay. Uh, I did appreciate that you, you, know, you got both of us with that. <laughs> Wasn't just, all right, let's talk about this Filipino spy. I did think you would want to be included in some of these stories. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, like I had no idea that the very f- first F- Filipino FBI agent, FBI analyst, sorry, oh FBI analyst, excuse me, yes, you're right. Mm. But yeah, and also this is fascinating about uh, Pollock as well, just because I've never heard of him. Yeah, as a Jewish person, he's something that we hear about because mm-hmm. some people say. Yeah, we didn't agree with him, but what he did was ballsy. And right. a lot of people are like, well, it's really embarrassing for the community because one of the anti-Semitic stereotypes is that Jews are loyal to other Jews and not their country. Right, yeah, that's... When one of them is a traitor, it makes the rest of us look really bad, and we don't yeah. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Fair. Well, thanks for that, Zach, and thank you all for listening. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. The theme music is by Jer Fitzgerald and Big Man Joe. Media reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.